Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. You may have figured me out by now. When I get into a passage, I kind of get stuck from time to time, and it can be hard to move me. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to get stuck and be able to see what God is saying in a specific book, a specific text. And in the book of Acts, to see the Spirit of God that comes and empowers the church to accomplish its mission. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended. They had been waiting. They had been uh, hoping to see what God had promised them. And the Holy Spirit descended and gave them tremendous power. And not just for them to proclaim that day the gospel, but the Spirit of God is going to be there to empower them to, to continually fulfill their mission and their purpose. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47 really gives us insight to that early church and how God was empowering that church to fulfill the purpose that he had for it. Uh, listen to it again, if you will. It says, And with many other words he testified, that is Peter, and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their bread with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I love the way Dr. Luke sometimes just pulls back and says, I want you to get the overall view of what the Spirit is doing through his church. He'll do this throughout the book of Acts. Now, he gives us specific stories. He will tell us again about the specific message that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. But then you'll see him just kind of pull back and say, I want you to see the overall view of what God is doing through his church. And I think there are moments in our lives when we need to see that, that greater view, the broad view of what God is doing. It's one thing to see the details, but then to step back and see the overall picture of what he is wanting to accomplish. A few weeks ago, uh, God was had sent me and Leslie to, to L.A. You remember, we left on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, we got into the plane. Finally, I think we flew out of Monroe, and I don't know if you know this, but when you fly out of Monroe, it's usually an hour too late, right? I don't want to knock anybody. Did anybody work with the Monroe Airport real quickly? Nobody think, okay, it's usually an hour or two late when they, when they, but we got over there and we finally got out and we were flying. And I realized, I looked at Leslie and I said, we're following the interstate right now. As you look down, it was clear day, look down. We're following the interstate. I said, you know what's going to be cool is, um, you know, when we're flying, we're flying and looking down on the interstate like this, we're going to be able to see Temple Baptist Church from the plane and it was like six o'clock and we looked down the parking lot was full because john king was preaching that night 
Yeah, I know people. I saw some of the cars that came that night that usually don't come. Just let people know. They were here. I looked down, saw that, thinking about my kids down there. It, it was interesting to see the whole church plant from there. It was just interesting, you know, to look down and see the whole of the church. It gave me a different perspective, in a sense, on the church. And sometimes we ought to pull out and we ought to be able to see the ministry of the church from an overall picture to see what God is doing overall. And that's what I think Dr. Luke does in this passage. He just kind of pulls out and he says, I want you to see a bigger view of what is being accomplished in the church. And I think you could say it shows the Spirit of God empowering the church to fulfill its purpose as you work down this passage. Well, obviously, a few years ago, there was a book that came out called The Purpose Driven Church. And then there was a little book came out that sold about 10 or 12 that was called The Purpose Driven Life. You remember that? And uh, if you ever read that book, you may not agree with it all. I'll be honest with you, I don't agree with all the things that I read in there. But one of the things that Rick Warren pointed to was this passage talking about the purpose of the church. And he talked about five purposes, remember? And I remember reading through that and thinking to myself, you know, this is nothing new. Loy, I think Flake used to talk about the same basic stuff years ago in Southern Baptist life. But even before Flake, it's nothing new. This is what the purpose of the church always has been, and it's demonstrated in Acts 2, 40 through 47. If you look at the overall picture, you see the purpose of the church as the Holy Spirit empowers the church to accomplish it. Look at, look at some of these things, for example. Uh, let's just go ahead and use those that idea of the five purposes. Look in verse 40. It says, And with many other words he testified, that's Peter, he exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So in the right here in this, these verses, you see the idea of evangelism, of winning people, to the Lord, the gospel being presented, calling forth for a decision. And he simply said, be saved from this perverse generation. Let me say to you, that's still the appropriate message today. Maybe more appropriate today than it was 30 years ago in our nation. Be saved from this crooked and twisted generation. This perverted generation. He says, be saved from it. Personally, I believe that we are moving closer to the culture of the New Testament than the American church has ever seen before or ever faced before. I think that we're actually moving back to that idea of what the culture was like in the time of the New Testament when it was, when it was being written, when people were, um, when the disciples were confronting immorality, sexual immorality, all kinds of immorality that was, that, they could find in the empire. I, I really believe we're moving back to that type of generation that we're going to be proclaiming the gospel to. And while some of you probably are discouraged, may I remind you what the power of the spirit working through those disciples accomplished in that culture. I mean, we can get down and out because it's returning to that, 
But remember, in those moments, God did some exciting and wonderful things to penetrate an immoral culture with the gospel. And the gospel still has that power today. And the Holy Spirit still has that power to work within his church to accomplish that means. So we are to spread the good news. And it's partly be saved from this perverse generation. And notice it says, they gladly, those who gladly received his word were baptized. They were baptized. And it says, 3,000 souls were added to them. How did they know 3,000 were saved? Because Loy was there to do the numbers for them? <laughs> this kid. No. <laughs> well, we're not going there. <laughs> Dale, you need to talk to him afterwards. He just made a remark about you, buddy. Um, 3,000. How did they know? Because they were baptized. They were baptized. They were able to keep up with them. They did not have the necessarily the altar calls, the invitation that we do today. Now, listen, you heard me say earlier, I'm for those things. I want to call people to repentance and to make an immediate decision. But how were they counted? It was as they came and they followed the Lord and they were baptized. Baptize, baptism, as I said last week, is not a part of salvation, but it is important in, our, in the work of God in our lives that we have been saved and we follow him and we're baptized. We identify with Christ. We identify with the church itself. And it says that they came 3,000 and they were saved. The power of the Spirit working in them to fulfill the purpose of evangelism. Now, I'll tell you what else it encourages me, of course, as, as a preacher, to think. That God's power and God's work, it can, be, it can work in a person's life to save them instantly. You know, sometimes we get to thinking, well, you know, that's just the first time they've heard the gospel. It, it takes some time. You know, they hear, and, and yes, thank God he is gracious to us and he gives us many, so many people, he gives many opportunities and, and many times it is the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, five hundredth time. God does do that. But never forget that the gospel is powerful enough to save someone the very first time that they hear it. Didn't they? It was the very first time. And 3,000 were saved. And the church was doing evangelism. They were preaching the gospel, the good news. And there are all kinds of things we can be involved in. There are all kinds of things that we can address, and we should. As, as I said this morning, I, I believe we ought to address every area in which the truth impacts people's lives. We ought to preach the whole counsel of God. People ought to know that as I preach through the passage, as we work through our Sunday school classes, that we will declare the whole counsel of God, even as it, as it relates to heart issues. Heart issues need to be addressed by the truth of God. So we believe that. But in all of those conversations, we should never forget at the heart of that truth is the good news of Christ, the gospel. Just to follow up for a moment from this morning, as much as I believe we should work for those things that are good in government and legislation, may I remind you that renewal and revival will not come simply 
because we elect a new president or a new congressman or a new legislature. That will not come. Revival comes as the good news of Jesus Christ penetrates people's hearts and lives when people recognize that we not only have a temporal leader, but rather we have an eternal leader who we need to be devoted to. And we need to be reminded of that. The, the good news of Christ, as we proclaim it, as we preach it, it still has the, it, the ability to transform people from a perverse generation and to lead them to a sense of righteousness. But once they're evangelized and they're, trans, they're saved, you don't leave them there. Evangelism is one purpose of the church, but you'll notice as you look at verse 42 that there is also discipleship. Baptism, perhaps the first step in discipleship, and then in verse 42 it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine is what? The idea of teaching. Those things that the apostles held, they were communicating that to others who had followed, others who had accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they were fulfilling the commission that God had given them. Jesus Christ had said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So it's not only about getting people to salvation. It's about discipling people in God's image, according to his commands and his teachings. Doctrine almost has become a negative word in our churches and in our culture today. But I would say to you that we will be most spiritually vibrant, most spiritually effective when we actually focus on the doctrine and teaching of God. We need to have depth in who we are, and we need to study God's Word, and we need to be disciples. Here are these who are simply disciples. There's evangelism, there's discipleship, and also you'll notice here the fellowship. It says in verse 42, and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fellowship. I walked through the uh, sanctuary a moment ago, and they're preparing for wind shape. And uh, I'm not sure we discussed this as a staff when we talked about having it in the fellowship hall. Uh, but I'm pretty proud we did have it in the fellowship hall tonight because, I mean, it is under major construction in there with the things going on. And when I walk by, though, there's this, like, big boat. Isn't there like a boat in there? And on the side it says koinonia when I walked by a moment ago, the Greek word for fellowship. It literally means to hold in common, to hold in common, to have a commonality, a fellowship together. Now, usually when we say we're having a fellowship at the church, what does that mean? We're eating watermelons. <clears throat> we're having a potluck. We're eating. And that's okay. It talks about the breaking of bread here. Many people will actually identify that with the Lord's Supper, but it was more like a meal of coming together and, and enjoying each other and holding some common things together. There should be this Authentic type of community, of fellowship. It said in verse 46, continuing daily with one accord. Notice the unity that's there. 
in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They simply enjoyed the community of faith, the fellowship, the things that they were holding together. The doctrine held them together. Their relationships held them together. It is tremendous when you have a united church that experiences the community of Christ. It's awesome. I pray every day I don't mess things up at temple. Because <laughs> God is just allowing a great prevailing spirit among us, I think, at this point. You can sense it. I can. And to be able to have that fellowship together. And I belong to different groups before. I always try to be involved in the community. And I think there's a place for certain things of us being able to have relationships in the community and, and enjoying one another and reaching people for Christ, obviously. But there is no community and fellowship like the local body of believers. Like the local body of believers. Because we hold things in common that unbelievers can never truly understand. We are blood kin. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus. We have been bound together in the fellowship. And there should be such fellowship that we enjoy among our brothers and sisters. We should enjoy what God has given us. It says that they went through fellowshipping together, holding things in common. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were, they were passing watermelon from one end to the other end of their houses. They were enjoying one another. And I think there should be moments in the church where we simply just enjoy one another and thank God that he has given us one another and be bound together. So you have evangelism, you have discipleship, you have fellowship, you have ministry. Verse 44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. In a few weeks, I'm going to talk about that in the communal type of living and how this is not a form of communism. I'm going to talk about that later on. But for just tonight, just, just see how it says they came together, they saw need, and they took care of that need. Now, I'm all for helping in the community. I hope you know that about me now. I hope you can sense it as we go forward. I am a big believer in what we can do to help the community and the people in the community. I certainly believe that. So don't take what I'm about to say in the wrong way, okay? I believe we should reach out to people. But may I say to you that when I look at the book of Acts and I look at the New Testament example, our first priority of taking care of people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we can't take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ then it is a blot upon our testimony and upon our witness. Yes, we're to reach the community. Yes, we are. But here, notice, those who are believing, they were making sure that they were taking care of their fellow believers. They were meeting their needs. There's something about that. And for a local body of believers, but I would say to you, even as we look at the church worldwide, there should be moments where we see believers in other nations and other countries, and we should do what it takes to help them. 
in their time of need. There's ministry of reaching out to people. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. And then finally, that fifth purpose that's given to us, outlined for us, is worship. And it is worship. It says, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Praising God and having favor with all the people. There's a sense of worship that is there. And it somehow infected the community when the people of God were worshiping. I have to go back to verse 43. I think part of the worship came as they recognized God's work among them. It says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. As they saw God's work, as they saw what he was doing, the worship was just a natural expression. It is a natural reaction to who God is and what he is doing in your midst. I'm going to sound like a broken record, probably. Just want to say it again. We'll say it many, many more times. I really don't believe we ought to have to be motivated to worship. Now, that's just me. I appreciate Jeremy standing and leading us and all. I appreciate him doing that. But when I come to worship, I'm not just worshiping because I have a lead cheerleader. Okay? I should worship because this is the natural reaction and response to a God who is great, who has blessed me, who works in me, a God that I see his strength and his power each and every day. And when you see God high and lifted up, just like Isaiah did, you don't have to have somebody say, hey, won't, you, you, you got to get it. I want to encourage worship, worship. You don't have to have anybody else tell you that. You see who God is and you worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's not contained to just one hour service. Now, it's great to have the fellow believers worshiping with you. But this worship, notice it said they were praising God. And I think from what he had talked about earlier in verse 46, as they were continuing daily with one accord in the temple, I I think they were daily worshiping. I think they were daily worshiping. If the only time you worship is on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night, then something's wrong. Because God wants us to have a daily sense of worship as we engage Him, as we seek Him. They worshiped together. And again, notice these purposes, the Spirit's come. Remember, this is all in the context. The Spirit's come, and the Spirit now has empowered them to evangelize, disciple, to join together in fellowship, to minister to one another, to worship. In verse 47, again, one of those summary statements where Dr. Luke just kind of brings us so that we can see a greater view, a fuller picture of what's happening. He just says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Daily, there were people coming to salvation. Daily. Some of you probably say, but 
you know, Dr. Reggie, again, that was Pentecost. Those were the apostles. Great things, yes, that's awesome. But could we expect the same? Do we have the same Lord? Do we have the same Spirit? Do we have the same gospel? If that is the case, as we are faithful to Him, we can see such tremendous works. We can see such tremendous transformation and power. Because my God, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He can work in our lives to fulfill His purpose and His plan. Let's see the picture of God, the picture that He has of the church, and let's be obedient.